What is going on, everybody? I am Brandon Carroll alongside my co-host Matt McConnell for another edition of Sunshine State Takes on what is a week that we will see three, yes, I said it, three episodes published by us, and we're on number two today. How are you feeling today, Matt? I'm doing good. It's been a slow day for the most part, just a lot of homework. Parents haven't been home, so I've been doing some cooking as well, kind of just, uh, you know, hanging out with the dogs, getting through the slow, boring day, really just counting down, um, you know, the days and minutes till Chiefs Texans on Thursday. But obviously we got to get this NFC West preview in today to round off our series. And then on Thursday, we'll be back with that Chiefs Texans preview. So I'd say at this point, it's just count down the minutes till NFL season. Absolutely. So today we're going to get into the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, and the NFC reigning champion 49ers as we inch closer to the start of the NFL football season. Let's get it. Let's do it. Welcome to Sunshine State Takes, everyone. This is Matt McConnell along with Brandon Carroll, and we finally made it. We're finally here. It's NFL kickoff week. It is Tuesday, September 8th. The season kicks off Thursday, September 10th. You know, you can just feel it, but now we're in that awkward waiting phase. You know, it's we know it's there. It's in reaching distance, but now time's probably going to slow down a little bit. So at this point, I'm just kind of thinking, like, you know, what can I do to pass the time the most? What can I do to get through today, get through tomorrow? and get to that much-awaited season opener on Thursday. That's where my mindset is. Obviously, we're here to talk NFC West today. It's going to be a great show, some basketball talk as well. But we're going to start with our usual segment. What's on your mind, Brandon? What's on my mind is, if anyone doesn't know me, I am a huge Lincoln Riley fan. He's the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners in college football, and he is, I believe, to be the Andy Reid in terms of offensive innovation at the college level. I think he's going to be a guy that we see continue to climb the ladder within coaching ranks and eventually make his way to being a rather, you know, a rather household name for, you know, any team that he coaches, whether that be in college or in the NFL. Um, but earlier today, OU released a statement that they will not be releasing COVID-19 information about players any longer. And Lincoln Riley says that that, um, that that decision is based on the fact that they don't want to give their opponents that testing data because of a competitive advantage. And I have a bone to pick with that. Because you have to realize that at some point, you're the head coach of Oklahoma. This isn't North Texas. This isn't South Alabama. Right. A competitive advantage is having better players on the field than the rest of your conference. And that's what Oklahoma has year in and year out. 
We see them consistently put players on the field that are just better offensively. And even right. last year, we saw defensively that they were one of the better teams within that conference. So I think it's a bit childish to say that not giving out these testing, you know, data information is a competitive advantage, competitive advantage, because it's Oklahoma, you know, they're, they're expected to have a competitive, competitive advantage right. just by stepping on the field and to play those little mind games with something as serious as COVID-19. I just, I just don't think that it's uh it's ideal for, um, you know, Oklahoma. And I think Lincoln Riley's a bit better than that. Right. Well, I mean, I guess it's just the word choice that could lead you to have a problem with it because yeah. um, at, at the same time, if those players that get COVID want to be kept private, you know, that, that should be allowed as well. Yeah. Um, I think just when you word it like, oh, from a competitive advantage, we're not going to reveal our protocols and or who has it and whatnot, then yeah, that looks a little weird because at the end of the day, uh, you know, this virus, you know, we shouldn't, especially when it comes to sports, use this virus for a competitive advantage or not. That's a little, you know, that could be seen as wrong. It's a global pandemic that has affected so many lives. So um, I think it's just the wording there because obviously there is that aspect where, you know, if a player gets it and wants that to be kept confidential, that, that you know, that'd be fine as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I have to say about it is that, I understand not releasing the statements saying, okay, this play, you know, uh, Spencer Rattler has it or, you know, other uh, big name players that Oklahoma fields in this season. But to just say you're not even going to release numbers so that other teams can't, you know, try to figure out, okay, which position groups are affected, which, you know, I just think that's kind of ridiculous. Like, let's say eight of them test positive. They go to the field and there's eight players missing. Yeah, will that be a, uh, will that kind of be, a shock to another team sure but at the right. same time i think you're still oklahoma you should hold yourself to a higher standard i feel like right. uh that's the same as a team you know I-, I wouldn't put them on the same level as like an sec school like florida or georgia or alabama even um you know for for that but i would say that as oklahoma you're held to a higher standard and putting that as a competitive advantage competitive i cannot say that word and i'm so sorry okay. competitive yeah. advantage is definitely something that i don't think was right but to you know come out and say like that the way he indicated it which is what you said before right well we'll we'll definitely see how it goes the thing you bring up that's interesting is the uh eight people test positive you show up and there's not eight players there yeah uh putting it into perspective like that actually kind of makes you even wonder how like that's something that the ncaa is even going to allow exactly um you know i feel like it it, you should have to notify the other team if even one player isn't going to be present you know you don't have to give the name but hey we're gonna be short one or uh you know we're making this many roster changes because of this many COVID I I don't know I don't once again I think the wording of it obviously leads to the biggest issues and the confidentiality aspect should stay intact but um numbers should probably be public and other teams should be able to know about that uh, are, are there any other schools that are doing that, or is Oklahoma the first one to come out? And that's the first one that I've seen. I'm not a hundred percent sure if there are other schools that are not releasing that information. Right. Um, I just kind of found it, you know, a bit. Uh, I yeah. don't, you know, uh, just yeah. I found it odd because it's Oklahoma. You know, I, right. I, I I look at Oklahoma as one of the top ten schools in the nation every year coming out to play college football, especially in a year that's the Big Ten isn't playing. So teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, right. they're not even in the fold. So you're you know you got a top seven, top really top five team in the nation 
playing games and it's right. it's not on the field. I, I think that's uh mind games have no have no uh place in a, such a serious matter as COVID nineteen. Right. All right. Well I'm gonna I'm gonna get into uh what's on my mind. Yeah, go uh, ahead. On, on on Sunday the the Mets took care of the Phillies fourteen to one. Mm-hmm. Uh nice blowout win on a Sunday. What I really want to talk about is uh Jacob deGrom and and his performance. It was it was a stellar one. Seven innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, two walks, 12 strikeouts. He lowered his ERA down to 1.69 and it was his 69th career win. So a, a bit of a milestone day for DeGrom there, but it's just the dominance and the 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 day in day out every time he takes the mound, it's guaranteed that he is going to, you know, put on a show and I, I, he he just continues to further distance himself every start as the clear-cut best pitcher in baseball. And with Garrett Cole not really, uh, you know, having his best stuff this year, it really just makes all these Yankee fans coming into the season saying that, oh, Cole is better than the Gromit. It, it just makes them all look foolish because th- this race has already separated itself. It didn't take long at all, and it's not close. DeGrom has been dominant this year. We like Mets fans like to call it DeGrominant. Um, he's he's online to win his third Cy Young. You Darvish is having a great year, but we'll see what happens there. I think if DeGrom keeps it up uh, and, and finishes strong, doesn't limp to the finish line, he, there's going to be some heavy, heavy, heavy consideration for a third straight Cy Young. So, um, And he finally got some run support this time. One of the biggest issues with Jacob DeGrom is he'll go out and pitch seven innings, 10 strikeouts, dominance. And, but by the time he exits the game, the, the score is 0-0. The Mets don't score him any runs. The bullpen gives up a, a run the next inning, and the Mets usually end up losing in heartbreaking fashion. It seems like a theme. But as of recent, the Mets have been scoring some runs for DeGrom, and it's been translating the wins. So uh, we're nearing the end of the season where every game is going to start counting because of the shortened season. And, uh, you know, as long as DeGrom's on the mound, we're going to, we're going to have a shot to maybe eke in as an eighth or seventh seed into this expanded playoff. But uh, I just wanted to shout out to Grom. He was marvelous. 12 strikeouts. It was the second straight 12 plus strikeout game of the year, which the only other pitcher to do that, I believe is Shane Bieber for the Indians. So not something that happens often. And I just hope the Mets can turn it around and get into a playoff spot down the stretch here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I actually saw a video earlier today. Um, and it was just like, you know, someone just kind of having a bit of fun. And it was if I woke up in Jacob deGrom's body, first thing I would do is yell at my bullpen and tell him to yeah. tighten up. Because, right. you know, like you said, deGrom keeps coming out, having these deGrominant nights, as you said. And uh, yeah. he continues to, you know, the, the, the Mets continue to have losses in uh, that column because of the bullpen and how they yeah. performed when deGrom isn't able to, you know, when, or when Degrom leaves the game, nothing that he did to not able to, but uh, yeah. So right. I, I just that, thought people, that applied. It was kind of funny too. So. People will always be like, "Oh, Degrom shouldn't get the Cy Young because of his win loss record, because yeah, he'll get a lot of no decisions and he'll really only end up winning like seven or eight starts a year." But I always thought win loss pat or win loss record for a pitcher is one of the dumbest stats in all of sports. It's just dumb because a lot of times the the win or loss isn't really reflective of how a pitcher pitched. I mean, obviously, if you go out and give up nine runs in the first inning and bomb your start, like, you'd get charged with the loss. But, you know, are, are, 
are we really going to call a pitcher bad because he lost 10 starts, but in every single one of those 10 starts, he goes seven innings, one run allowed and four hits and they lose all those games three to one, you know, then that, that's kind of been the story of DeGrom's career, which is why I think the win loss stat is stupid and DeGrom has rightfully earned all his Cy Youngs. I actually saw a tweet kind of related to the one you said, like if you woke up in DeGrom's body, uh, some guy tweeted, like, if you gave me DeGrom stuff or the ability to fly, I would legitimately need to take three days to think about it. <laughs> because being able to pitch the way DeGrom does is, you know, it's a good, it's something I would definitely take because it would earn me a lot of money. And I'd bear, I'd embarrass a lot of batters' families. So yeah, uh, you know that's the goal. That's the goal of baseball. Uh, is, you know, if, if you're a batter, famous. you want to embarrass the pitcher's family. If you're the pitcher, you want to embarrass the batter's family. So if you have Degrom stuff, that's a very easy way of doing that. But that's that's what I got. Uh, Degrom talk for what's on my mind today. Um, I'm ready to move on. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so as we move on throughout the show, you know, as Matt said when we started, obviously we always kick it off with what's on your mind. But today, instead of jumping right into our NFC West preview, which will be our eighth and final divisional preview of this NFL offseason, because everything starts on Thursday, we get the season kicked off. And despite it taking a lot longer than we expected, a few hiatuses, you know, a few of scheduling conflicts, events in both of our lives that have pushed things back, we're finally through it. Right. We still got, you know, time to recoup. Really, only two days because we'll be back Thursday with our season opener preview. But right. we're done. And but before we get into that, we're gonna really dive in to what's been going on in the NBA playoffs. I know there's, you know, we're we're now in the second round of the NBA playoffs, but we're really gonna touch on the Los Angeles Lakers versus Houston Rockets in the Miami Heat versus the Milwaukee Bucks in a series that no one could have predicted. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think, I think think the Heat is a good place to start as well. Um, you, you look at that Heat-Bucks series and, uh, you know, you look at you just look at that Milwaukee team uh, in, in particular, um, you know, they, they did beat the Magic in five games, but they looked a little lackluster at times. And the Heat kind of just bulldozed through the Pacers. And that's a series that we really thought was going to be a close one that came down to the wire. But, you know, the Heat uh, swept them. They took care of them in quick business. And coming into this, you know, heat Bucks series, I was thinking, like, well, you know, this isn't in the bag for the Bucks by any means. You know, the Heat are not a bad team. I watched the Heat multiple times throughout the year. I can recall a game against the Lakers. They took the Lakers down to the wire and, uh, you know, just having guys like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero, those are guys that are always going to keep you in games. And, you know, I the, the Heat team matched up very well with this Bucks team, and they showed it right away. Uh, even going up 3-0, which now, was I, would I have thought this game might have, you know, been back and forth and going into, you know, game six to – or like go to a game six with the Bucks up 3-2 or something? Yeah, like that, that's kind of what I – that's kind of, you know – the level of competitiveness that I thought the heat would bring, but they've really proved me wrong in terms of how they've just gone out onto the court and dominated night in and night out uh, in game three, when they went up three Oh, they outscored the bucks 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. They were down by double digits and completely flipped the script on that game. They ended up losing game four. Uh, you know, if the heat don't really have that pull away in game three, it's a two, two series. 
you know, you're just seeing a lot of this stuff that um, you don't usually see happen to a number one seed team in the NBA. Uh, and it's really put the Heat in a good position to take care of the series and go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I 100% agree. Um, I think the Heat are just playing out of their minds right now. I think we're seeing Jimmy Butler really prove that he is one of the top players within this NBA. And I think we're seeing a guy in Goran Dragic. There we go. Sorry, I'm stumbling all over my words today. I don't know what's happening. But, you know, in game one, this Heat team was able to put together some spectacular performances from more than just Jimmy Butler or, you know, Bam Adebayo. Obviously, they both, Jimmy Butler had 40 points. Bam Adebayo had 17 rebounds. Goran Dragic dropped 27 of his own. Tyler Hero had 11. You know, we had just some outstanding basketball play. And that kickstarted coming off a 4-0 sweep of the Pacers that kickstarted what we've seen throughout the rest of this series we've seen the heat be dominant at times against a Bucks team that really shouldn't allow the heat to be dominant because the Bucks are so talented with Giannis and you know we're seeing the heat really just take over this series and the scores that have you know that have been you know consistently occurred the heat have scored 115 in three of their games Right. The one time that Milwaukee got to 118, they needed overtime. Obviously, the Heat needed right. overtime to get to 115, but still, it's been consistent performances after another from the Heat unit, and we're not seeing that from the Bucks. We're seeing, you know, Giannis hasn't has been dealing with the ankle injury, which obviously takes the. Is Bucks. he playing? Is he playing tonight? I don't even know if he is. I'm not 100 percent sure. I can check that out real quick. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he's like a game time decision. I um, thought I saw he wasn't. I haven't really seen any. I haven't really seen consistent updates from it, though. It's saying that he's a game time decision, so he'll pro- mm-hmm. he'll probably go out to the court, you know, see everything that's going on, try to feel himself out. Right. But if he doesn't so play, if he doesn't, it's play, an elimination game, so he's probably going to play. Absolutely, and he should because if he doesn't play, then we're going to see the Heat take the series four one. Right. Because I will say though, uh, in Giannis's absence in Game Four, Chris Middleton really stepped up. Absolutely, and he did. So, he, Chris Middleton played. Those secondary guys need to step up. I saw a tweet. I want to know what you think of this. Was it maybe Richard Jefferson tweeted it? He said, uh, "Giannis is a Pippin. He needs an MJ." Yeah, he did. He did tweet. What that. were your thoughts? You, I I somewhat to an extent agree with that. I mean. You know, if if Giannis really was that MJ or LeBron that, you know, can care, especially LeBron, um, in terms of being able to carry some subpar, you know, mediocre teams. Um, now, that, that's definitely more so in LeBron's case than MJ's. But, definitely. you know, if that's what if 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 we want to start comparing Giannis to these guys, you know, there needs to be you know, more takeover from him. And this is a guy there and this is a team in particular, the Bucks, they were up 2-0 over the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And uh, the Raptors went four straight. The Bucks were not able to put them away. Um, you know, come again this year, they struggle a bit against the Magic and they're being, you know, they're being absolutely outplayed and blown off the court by the Heat. So is is Giannis really capable of on his own getting the Bucks over that hump? Or does he need someone? I think, you know, I th- I think it's always been a bit I don't I've never really agreed with the constant comparisons of a of people like MJ and LeBron. There's a, every year 
there is right. one player that they take and they always try to make them to be that that next person. Right. And I think that's unfair expectations for guys that really are once in a lifetime athlete, players, whatever. LeBron and MJ are two generational talents. Right. We will never see guys like MJ, LeBron, Kobe. We'll see versions of other players, but we will never see that player again because they're just right. so special. They're so yep. one of a kind. And I think Giannis has fallen, fallen victim to being compared to those guys. And now we're seeing him start to stumble with those expectations. Right. And Giannis is still a great player. And you can't even, there's no arguing oh, not that. not at all. I would, ne- I would yeah. never try to argue. There's no arguing that. He, is, he has been one of the greatest development stories within the NBA that I've ever seen. Because he went from a guy who was, you know, as big as a stick when he got into the league. Now he has put on some muscle he can battle out in the paint, and he is so long that, you know, he doesn't really need a jump shot, I don't think, because he can get to the paint and do whatever he wants in there. Obviously, if he yeah. got one, he would be unstoppable. He'd be KD-like. Obviously right. not KD, another guy that is special. But it's just so hard to look at this Milwaukee team and say that Giannis doesn't I, I don't know if he doesn't need a I don't know if he's a Pippin need a Jordan cuz I don't know if he needs a player that, that you know that much better than him but I'm not 100% sold that he can get it done with the crew they have around him right you know what I mean and that's what I'm, yeah and I'm I'm thinking like you know I now I'm not someone whose basketball knowledge is you know through the roof but you know kind of from a mix of watching and reading on Twitter and kind of you know, seeing what the experts have to say and whatnot, I feel like um, that that lack of a jump shot on Giannis is sometimes what faults the Bucks, though, because we, we get to those late game moments, and you know, if you plug the paint, you don't have to worry about the guy beating you. Yeah. With, you know, yeah. with a jump shot, and you know, when it gets to the playoffs, and when you get to the, you know, latter portions of a long season, and fatigue sets in, and you know, not having a jump shot, a jump shot, especially you know your best player on your team, the guy that you rely on for your most production, not having a jump shot. Well, you know, there are ways to defend that type of player in the paint when, you know, the going gets tough and you can take the paint away and uh, ultimately get the ball out of Giannis's hands. I feel like we've seen teams do that to the Bucks, yeah. and it hurts them. So, uh, you know, h- how much more would it help? I feel like, you know, if they had a Steph Curry or if they had – you know, I'm not. I was I gonna even, say. I don't even that. think it needs to go to that extent, though. I don't think he needs a right. Steph Curry. That's another guy that right. is just so. I think Steph could honestly be better than Giannis. Obviously, they're different positions, so we can't compare right. them. But it's just, I, I don't think he needs. He just needs. You know, Michael had Steve Kerr, LeBron. You right. know, he they just had he had Ray Allen. He just needs someone that can take that pressure off of him in that late moment situation. Obviously. He's not a guy that, like, LeBron can knock down a three when he needs to on occasion. MJ could right. knock down that shot. Giannis can't. And, yes, it would help him tremendously if he had it, but he doesn't. And I think the Bucks are, you know, kind of – Even get him like a Trey Young. Yeah, right? it's, literally just get him someone that can knock down shots, he can facilitate right. on the floor, and he can be a guy a that – Yeah, exactly. I, I think he doesn't need that, you know, just that another insane ball player – to just come on a team right. and really take, I think that would even make him worse because it would take away some of his 
touches that he really gets in a rhythm with because he wouldn't be able to go into the paint every time because he'd be sharing those that ball on the offensive end with those you know better not better but with those number twos or really one one a's so like there's the one a and one b so so it's interesting because if you give Giannis that you know that consistent jump shot or that can kind of take care of some of those shots late in the game when the going gets tough and the paint gets flooded Yes, you're taking touches away from Giannis, but at the same time, that production hole that you need filled, especially when it gets late into the playoffs and you need that guy, that also gets filled. Absolutely. Which would you rather have, you know, Giannis gets a few less touches, but those big go-ahead shots that they need late in games are falling now, or Giannis gets more touches, but the paint gets flooded late. Giannis's jump shot doesn't do anything drastic down the stretch, and the Bucks get up, end up getting outplayed. You know, it goes yeah. either way. Obviously, think, they don't need to go with the extent of a Steph Curry, but yeah. there are guys they could bring in that could help fill that hole and make it a bit easier on Giannis down the stretch. Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to say that late game is the is the problem right. here um, with getting another you know good player because I think adding another good player is good for any star within the league. Right. We've seen that in recent years that when you put together really two or three guys that are just solid basketball players – they're able to win games, and they're able to yeah. do it at a high frequency. We're seeing obviously. it in L.A. We're seeing it with both L.A. teams. Yeah, we're, we're seeing it really – if you put together two stars, it's working. It, it is, right. and it's it's something that the NBA is starting well, to – for the most part. Obviously, if you got a guy like James Harden and Russell Westbrook who right. are so – That was what I was going to say. Who are clashing yeah. all of the time over touches because they're both so ball-dominant, it can be difficult. Right. But when you have guys that are willing to work together and be right. you know, a cohesive unit – it's working, but I don't think Giannis needs that other star, if that makes sense. I don't think right. he needs a guy that takes away touches throughout the longevity of the game. Right. He needs someone that can be able to knock down shots towards the end of the game when they need that three-pointer to go ahead or when they need that you know mid-range jump shot to tie it up. I just right. And I think the biggest thing about Milwaukee is they don't have that. They had Michael Brogdon last year, who, albeit, was great. You know, he was able to do exactly what they needed there in Milwaukee, and he was able to put together some so- a solid campaign last season. And then he got shipped out. Well, he moved on to Indiana. Chris Middleton stayed and took a rather luck- uh, lucrative contract for that. And, right. you know, while he has played well, Chris Middleton's not, you know, he's, he's a good basketball player, but he's not a max contract type player. No, we, you, need, no. you need a guy in the middle of Giannis and Chris Middleton. You know what I mean? I, I think right. I think Chris Middleton is a solid second option. You need a guy that can be a three. I think you need a three and D guy, a guy that is just cold blooded, a Tyler Hero. Give me a Tyler Hero that can just right. knock down shots exactly. whenever you need it. You know what I mean? I, That's I don't the guy think I would take on my team. I love absolutely, Tyler Hero. absolutely. He's becoming one of my favorite players in the league. Absolutely. I can't get enough of him. Yeah, he, he's a, he's a fantastic basketball player, and I saw that at Kentucky. Um, I, I went to a, the Florida-Kentucky game last year and uh, in Gainesville, and Tyler Hero absolutely dominated the floor the entire game. Florida, right. Florida got up early in the first half. Tyler Hero came back basically by himself, just knocking down shots and playing just excellent basketball. And yeah. he was doing I remember it. watching a lot of him in the tournament. Against, yeah. I think they were playing Houston one year, and he hit some big shots late. Yeah. He's just always a guy that if you've been watching you know, basketball at the collegiate level, you know who he is. Obviously, Kentucky's a team that's been on TV a lot. 
um, you hear his name get called to the Heat, and you know, wow, you know, the Heat just got a steal. They got yeah. a good guy. They got a good sharp shooter. This is a guy that's going to make their team better just because what he can do behind the three-point line, and he fits what the Heat try to do very well too. Absolutely, and it works. So, um, I, I like a guy like Tyler, Tyler Hero, and you know, obviously he's on the uh, wrong end of this conversation in terms of the Giannis conversation because Giannis doesn't have him right now. Rather, yeah. he's on the team that's up 3-1 on Giannis. But if Giannis had that guy on his team, it would be a very scary team. Exactly. Just get Giannis a walking bucket, which is exactly right. what Tyler Hero is. He was playing NBA caliber basketball in college. Right. He was he was one yeah. of the better basketball players throughout last season. And now we're seeing Giannis, you know, continuing to play at a high level, albeit, but he's struggling to find a guy that can do the same things that Tyler Hero can do, he needs that guy. He need right. he needs a shooter. And I think that's the biggest thing with Giannis and his skill set. If he can't develop that j- jump shot, he's going to need someone else. And I don't think right. it's I don't think it's a 100% necessity for him to develop the jump shot. Obviously, it would be a huge it would be a tremendous help because then there's no stopping the guy. Right. If he could if he, he could knock down just 35% of his threes, Watch out, because he is going to be a problem. But, I know. I'm looking. But, I'm looking forward to see where Hero's uh, career goes. I'm, you know, uh, obviously we're gonna get to see him, see what he can do tonight. As uh, that game is actually starting at 6:30, so this episode might actually not get to you guys uh, until this game is underway. Uh, but regardless, just so uh, to recap, he or, or the Heat are up three-one in that series, and they're going for the series win. Uh, tonight so there's a good chance you're listening to this tomorrow morning or uh, during the game but that's why um, before we move into our NFC West preview if you're ready I say we get into that Lakers Rockets series a little bit yeah Um, can I touch on uh, one more thing about this series I know it's just there's just so much going on in here Um, I just want to point out how the Heat have been dominant on the boards Throughout this series, we've seen Bam Adebayo really by himself post 17, 16, 12, and 9 rebound nights. Um, The 17 and 16 obviously being the ones that stand out the most. uh, And both of those were the really dominant wins by the Heat. Uh, You know, you had the 115 to 104 and then 115 to 100 in games 1 and 3. So if Bam Adebayo can continue crashing the boards and if they can find Jimmy Butler putting 40 or 30 up on the board yet again... Heat might take this one 4-1 tonight. And that that's what I'm going to say. And I actually, I'll put it in the books right now. Heat to the Eastern Conference Finals is going to happen sooner than later. And I think it's going to be with a victory tonight over Milwaukee, who will once again fall short of reaching their goal of getting to the finals, yeah. despite being the number one seed in the East. So, so there's going to be some serious discussions in Milwaukee this offseason as to where it goes next. Obviously, you know, losing in five to what? Were they are the Heat the four or the five? I think they're the five. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're the five. Yeah. Uh, no, so, they're the, they're the four. They're the yeah, four. They are the five. Oh, are so they? Losing, they are. I thought. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. Never so mind. losing in five games to the five seed as the one is not exactly how you want your season to end. Um, it's it's actually even a more disappointing finish to your season than it was the previous year. Made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, so. Uh, the team did not perform as well. But I also saw a stat that the Bucks as a team just had not really been great since the uh, restart in the season transition to the bubble. I think the stat I saw is they were like seven and nine in bubble play. And it's just apparent that they haven't been as good. But that's enough on the Bucks. We're going to get into this uh, 
Rockets Lakers series, which is currently tied one one. Game three is tonight at nine. Uh, yes, yes. The series is technically in Houston now, as the first two games were technically Lakers home games, and the Rockets were able to take one. They put on what was a pretty good performance in game one. Uh, they beat them by fifteen. Harden put up thirty six. PJ Tucker had nine rebounds. Eric Gordon and Russell Westbrook put up twenty three and twenty four respectively so um you know the rockets came out and they looked good and that's a good thing to see if you're a rockets fan because it's always usually around this time the second round uh you know it's either usually a mix of the the west semis or the west finals where the rockets you know it starts to fall apart and taking that game one is huge because um you know it's just always good it's always good to win a game one it's always good to get off to that hot start and you know they end they even entered uh, the fourth quarter of game two with a lead. Uh, and that, and you know, this is what I'm talking about when it kind of starts to fall apart a bit. They got outscored in the fourth quarter of game two, 27 to 17. Uh, Harden only put up 27 in that one. Russell Westbrook really was the story. While he had 13 rebounds, only 10 points, and he shot four for 15. Uh, and they only had 13 points off the bench. Yeah. Meanwhile, in game two, the Lakers had Kuzma, Morris, and Rondo all come off the bench and put up double digits, which accompanied Anthony Davis's 34 and LeBron James is 28. That's winning basketball right there. And if you're the Rockets and Russell Westbrook, you bring in to be that number two guy to accompany Harding, four of 15 for only 10 points is not going to get the job done. And we need to see some improvement from Russell Westbrook in that regard because, um, you know, I'm. I always see Westbrook get called Westbrick come postseason time, and that's that's a name I never want to give Russell Westbrook. He's a guy I root for uh, because I really admire what he did in that 2017 season after KD left him, and that kind of he kind of made a fan for life in me during that season. Not not that I'm a Russell Westbrook fanatic and I'm going to go to the grave defending him, but kind of just to see him keep that poise and uh, you know put up the performances he did that season after you know, losing his teammate to one of the biggest stink moves ever, you know, you gain a lot of respect for a guy like that. And now he's in a a place like Houston where he can win alongside Harden. He's just got to do so much better than 10 points. You know, Harden's going to go out there night in, night out, be dominant, put up 30 points. Um, You know, Westbrook's got to be scoring mid-20s, 30s. 10 isn't going to do it, especially against the Lakers. There's no reason to let six players score more points than you as one of the premier guards in the league to go four for 15 from the field in a playoff game that really could have put this week just as we saw with Miami going up 2-0 we're started you know the Lakers could have started asking themselves some questions and it it could have gotten serious they you know we're we're two games down but instead he puts up 10 points has is minus 14 when on the field that means that uh the Rockets were outscored by 14 points when he was on the court. I said the field, sorry, football. Is, I'm, I'm getting into that mood as we get closer to the NFL. I'm so excited. But we're seeing things like that. And, you know, he's not he's not putting up the numbers that I've expected from him, right. at least in last game. I mean, still had 13 rebounds, which, yeah, you know, it is solid. But at the same time, with five personal fouls and only 10 points, it's just going to be difficult for the Rockets to squeeze out a win against a, a team as talented as the Lakers. And um, one thing that I really wanted to point out that kind of popped off the page to me was Rajon Rondo played 29 minutes yep. the other night. He was 
he knocked down a three-pointer, which if you guys have ever watched Rajon Rondo is a monumental occurrence. It doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, you know something's going right. And this guy was plus 28 while on the court. He had nine assists, 10 rebounds. He had a bounce-back game from game one. He Absolutely. Got, he got pushed around a little bit in game one. And he came out and played excellent defense. He had five steals. He had only two fouls, only one turnover. He was the Lakers. He's the guy that put the Lakers over the top, I think, because you have LeBron scoring 28 points and then going 11 and 9, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. You have Anthony Davis going for 34, 10 and set or 10 and 4. So you got, you know, you got consistent play out of your top two players. And then JaVale McGee scores zero points in eight minutes. I don't think JaVale McGee should be playing in the series at all because of the way the Rockets run the floor. I think, you know, that small ball is not for McGee to be able to have to deal with, which I, so I think eight minutes is warranted. Uh, You know, Danny Green minus 10 while on the floor with only nine points. We continue to see Danny Green struggle shooting the basketball only, you know, being 50% from the field yet still knocking down three three pointers. I think he needs to shoot more. I think if we see him start to shoot at a higher frequency, we're going to see more from Dan- we're going to see what we expect from Danny Green. Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope negative 6 from the uh, while he was on the court. I just I think there's so many, you know, there's so many negatives within this team that it's not going to be able to continue, but then when you have you know, Markeith Morris with being plus 15, with Kyle Kuzma being plus 8, Rajon Rondo being plus 28, LeBron being plus 15. You're going to see that the, this Lakers team reach their full potential and kind of, I think, pull away from a Rocket squad that, while talented, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a bit of conflict with their two biggest players, you know. James Harden only scoring 27 points and only 37 combined with Russell Westbrook. It's never going to get it done. I don't care what team you are. No. It's not going to happen. Harden, Harden is fine with scoring 27. Westbrook's got to do better than that. I mean, come on. I think they Harden needs to two, score like, more than that, though. I think Harden needs to be in the should, 30s. He should, but they lost game two by eight points. If yeah, Westbrook yeah. puts up 25, they win that game. Yeah, I agree. You know? Agree. So we'll see where it goes. I think I think the Lakers are going to win the series. I do it as could well. go to seven, but I think six is the most realistic um, because I expect more bad performances like that out of Russell Westbrook, to be honest. I, I you know, I was not convinced that the guy I saw in game two was going to get it turned around anytime soon. I mean, when you're given a, a free three-pointer, an open three-pointer by the defense, and you miss it, it tells me all you need to know. He's, yeah. His mind is not in the right place in the series, and I think that's going to be part of the Rockets' downfall. Um, so that's, uh, I think, uh, I think we got to get heading into this NFC West preview. Yes. Uh, so that's where we're at in terms of the NBA playoffs. The Celtics are up three, two, and the Clippers are up two, one. Those have both been pretty good series for the most part. Uh, we wanted to focus a lot on the Bucks and the Lakers. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get into the LA Rams. Absolutely. And take it away on the Rams, Brandon. The Rams are, you know, a team that I think has talent but not in the right spots i think the quarterback position is still a question you know their head coach and sean McVay. we were talking about a bit before the um before the show as he's kind of been a forgotten piece at uh, as at the helm of that los angeles rams team and you know they go into the year with the 10th tenth, 10th tenth toughest schedule in the nfl so a team that once was a super bowl runner-up 
looks to be, in my opinion, the number four, you know, the last in this division, the last team to finish in this division this year because of a mixture of a daunting schedule, a lackluster quarterback, and really right. just a roster that, you know, uh, while, while talented, I just don't know if they can put it all together. Right. I mean, you you need to look at this Rams roster. Uh, you said they're, they have strong pieces, but in all the wrong spots. Um, the thing that, that sticks out to me about this Rams team is the secondary. And outside of Jalen Ramsey is where are the strengths on the secondary? Exactly. You're not going to find much anywhere. I think this uh, this secondary is going to struggle mightily in 2020. Teams are really going to have success throwing the football on the Rams. Up front, there's still a lot to like about this Rams team. Uh, guys like, obviously, Aaron Darnold. Or Aaron Donald. I was thinking of Sam Darnold for some reason. <laughs> Aaron Donald obviously is, you know, arguably the best all-around player in the NFL. You know, obviously quarterbacks usually get the most hype, but, uh, you know, I feel like not a lot of people, not enough people talk about uh, how much of a dominant force Aaron Donald really is up front and just how much he can disrupt a run game and how effectively he can get to the quarterback. The Rams have a stud in Aaron Donald, and that will always be a constant for this Rams team as long as he is on the field. The best player in football is on the on the on the field when the Rams defense is on the field. Um, Samson Ebucom is a good is a is a good piece, and uh, so is Leonard Floyd. So they have pieces on this defense, but overall, I just think this defense is going to struggle mightily this year. And it's because outside of Jalen Ramsey, that secondary does not have much going for it. Something else I want to point out is the replacement of uh, Todd Gurley. Uh, they brought in Cam Akers. I think that is an interesting project to keep an eye on throughout the year. I, I just like don't it. really know where this Rams offensive line is at. I think it's I think it's trending downward. Andrew Whitworth is getting older, and I think that's part of the reason we saw Jared Goff struggle last year. I think that continues as well. And the state of that offensive line really determines on how this Cam Akers project is going to work. I think the only position group on this team that I really like and despite the loss of Brandon Cooks is the, the wide, wide receiver, receiver position. Yep. Yes, you got Cooper Cup absolutely. coming back healthy, and you got Robert Woods, who is a force, and you've added Van Jefferson as well, who I'm going to let you talk about. I know you're big on him. So the wide receiver position is still looking good. There are just too many questions on this Rams team, and we have seen this team go entirely in the wrong direction since they only put up three points in Super Bowl 53. Uh, it's it's uh, I think it's a winner-bust year for the Rams this year. They have pieces on their roster, but can they put it together? What's it going to look like? Where is Goff at? You know, just so many questions. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Van Jefferson. And Van Jefferson has been really one of my favorite uh, wide receivers. Obviously, he played at Florida, so there may be a bit bi- a bit of bias there. I try not to let there be because um, he's just – I think he's so talented. He's one. He's a more lengthy wide receiver. He stands 6'1", 201. Um, so he's not a ridiculously tall wide receiver. But his arms and legs, his, his wingspan is just spectacular. He is probably one of the most polished route runners that we saw come out of this draft. Right up there with Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, you know, obviously known for being that quick, you know, you know concise route runner. I think Van Jefferson right. presents very similar... Uh, a very similar skill set in that aspect. And I also think that Van Jefferson is a very sneaky um, target to be 
possibly the rookie of the year. And I, I don't want to put it out there because I don't know what Jared Goff can do. But I think Van Jefferson as the beginning as the wide receiver three on this team is going to be a bit overlooked by a lot of teams because, you know, he's right. coming out of Florida who, despite having a very pass-heavy offense last season, was not very concerned about going to that premier guy. And, you know, they have Kyle Pitts, Van Jefferson, Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond. They even went to Kadarius Toney, jo- uh, Jacob Copeland. They had multiple Trevon Grimes. They had mul- eight receivers, really, that continuously caught passes for Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks earlier on in the year. So with that, you're not going to see them have that, those crazy stats and numbers that a lot of teams would have, like Jerry Judy. And, you know, obviously Alabama is a team that had – a multitude of guys as well, but they didn't have eight. You know what I mean? Obviously, I think talent it is more... Uh, I think the Alabama receivers are more talented. Uh, I just think Florida had so many in a row, if that makes sense, in the, in the position right. group that they weren't able to get as many uh, passes thrown in their directions and everything like that. So I just... I like what he's able to do in route running. I think he has some very sure hands... Uh, I think he developed really well since coming to Florida from Ole Miss. And I think, you know, going in the second round, while he does have high expectations, I think he's going to fly a bit under the radar. And because of that, I think you could see the Rams start to utilize him in a way that, you know, they he emerges as possibly a wide receiver two next year and Robert Woods ends up going somewhere else. Or, you know, I think they keep Cooper Cup, and I think Robert Woods could be a casualty of Van Jefferson playing at a high level. And, you know, that's interesting you bring that up. I'm, you know, let's see that happen, actually. Let's see Van Jefferson kind of kick Robert Woods to the curb here because from a a Patriots fan standpoint, we got some cap space in 2021, and we're going to be looking for some wide receivers. Um, I personally think Kenny Galladay is going to be a Patriot in 2021, but if that somehow falls through, then Robert Woods is a guy that, you know, if he needs to go somewhere else because the Rams go with this younger better route runner wide receiver than uh you know i'll I'll take robert woods in that patriots jersey so interesting you bring that one up yeah that's just how i'm feeling um with van jefferson and but looking at this schedule in general with what the uh with what the rams are going to be you know putting on the field you know wide receiver position being the top and then on the opposite side the cornerback position being really the db group uh you know that those back players with Jalen Ramsey only being the guy, being that guy in the back, and then the rest being mediocre, if not lackluster. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. They're gonna be, uh, is is what we're seeing from guys like Van Jefferson and uh, the wide receiver group in in training camp. Is that their talent, or is that a sign to come of what we're gonna see from that cornerback group or whatever? So. I'm looking at this schedule. They play Dallas week one. They play Philly week two. And they play Buffalo week three. I think they lose. I think they start off the season 0-3. And okay. I think that it's just because playing Dallas on a Sunday night to kick off the week, despite being at home, it's it's always it's difficult. Because Dallas is coming in the year with high expectations. And Dallas, I feel like, seems to be a team that comes out hot most of the time. 
But then they Dallas's to, offense is going to have a field day with that yeah, Rams. I I agree. I think so as well. Especially with I, having I think, CD. I think if it wasn't for the lack of, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to give no, my, it's all good. It's my all quick good. take. If it wasn't for the lack of a preseason and being able to see tape and whatnot, I you know I I I would pick Dallas to score 45 points in this game. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen because of the lack of all that. But Dallas has a field day with his defense. I agree. You know they got you know Michael Gallup. Uh, as their wide receiver three, but really they have Amari Cooper, right. CD Lamb, uh, Dak Prescott, who can really beat you with his arm and his legs. Even though we both seen that Dak isn't a top tier guy, he's still a talented quarterback, still at least right. top twenty. Um, and then Ezekiel Elliott, you know, really outside of Aaron Donald, running it down your throat. So uh, I, I just don't see them beating Dallas. I don't see them beating Philadelphia, considering it's in. Uh, Philadelphia um, and right. you know I, I don't I don't know what everything's looking like in certain parts of the country in terms of fans but you could put a hundred Eagles fans in that stadium and that place is going to be rocking doesn't matter because Eagles fans are crazy and same with Buffalo right. fans so back-to-back road games uh, gonna be difficult against two solid teams uh, Buffalo being what we believe to be a division winner in that AFC um, AFC East and then they get into New York and Washington. I think they take both of those games. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Um, it th- I think games like these are really going to be a testament as to because the Rams aren't going to be a good team in 2020. Games like New York and Washington are where we're going to find out are okay. Are the Rams a decent team or are they a bad team? Yeah. Um, because you know. I, I think Washington, you could definitely mark down as a loss. Um, you know, the Giants are, you know, I, it, you know, the Giants might be able to go out and put some points up on the Rams defense, but ultimately, I think the Rams win that game. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I see the same. Um, and then they play San Francisco. I don't think they beat San Francisco, especially not in San Fran. Um, mm-hmm. They play Chicago. They play Miami. Um, so right now, after. You know, those that back-to-back Giants-Redskins, I have them at their Giants-Washington football team. Sorry. That's really You're good. That's really the first. So, like, I've been trying really hard to, like, say Washington football team, but I'm looking at the schedule and it doesn't say it, and I just completely forgot. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. I thought I was doing I'm good. I'm pretty sure too. I've said Redskins multiple times. Yeah. And oh, well. I, really, I really don't apologize for it, but <laughs> yeah. it's I just, it I, I, just, it I just forget, you know. But, um... So I have them at two and three, and then I have them at two and four with the loss to the San Francisco 49ers. And then they go into, like you said, a game against the Bears and a game against the Dolphins in which we both look at, and I think that's their another two tests of are they going to be a middle-of-the-pack team or are they going to be a bad team? I give them the win over Chicago. I'm having a tough time picking Miami. Oh, you're having a tough time picking Miami over them? I'm having a tough time just picking a winner in that game. You know, oh, I gotcha. think I think these are two teams, Miami and LA, that you can expect to be about you know, anywhere from that seven and nine to nine and seven mark. Um I have you know, Los Angeles lower than that, to be honest. You have I, I'm I was thinking that too, but um I, I'm I'm leaning more towards taking Miami in that game. That's I just, how I feel. I'm I'm confident in picking the Rams over the Bears. Not as confident picking the Dolphins to beat the Rams, though, but I think I'm going to go ahead and take the Dolphins anyways because we've given the Dolphins some high praise on this show. And, yeah. 
Um, we like you know, the direction the Dolphins are going. Well co- coached team by Brian Flores. Very there. well coached. It just it just all depends on where the Rams are, and uh, you know maybe they take one of those first two or one of those first three games, and they're not really as bad as we think. But if the Rams are going to go out and perform like the way we think they are, then Miami can probably have a pretty good day against the Rams. So I'll go ahead and take the Dolphins. I think that would be one of the uh, I think that'd be a closer game obviously. I don't think it would be right. a, either team would handle the other. Um Oh, we have to watch Chicago. We have to watch Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky battle it out on Monday night. They've played some horrible games. We have to watch them on Monday night. Yeah. That is you terrible. Remember, so they played on a Sunday night in 2018 and I think the score was like 15 to 6. And terrible. I'm pretty sure Goff threw like four picks and Trubisky threw like three of his own. <laughs> like it was so ugly. bad. And then That's they terrible. played last year on a Sunday night and the score was like 17 to seven. <laughs> they play some terrible games against each other. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I don't. I you know just to just to uh, keep up with wacky score predictions, I, I say the Rams will beat the Bears this year like 18 to <laughs> 18 to nine. We're gonna see an eighteen to nine game this year. There's gonna be like three safeties and three field, Bears kick like three field, field goals. goals and safeties, and maybe Goff will throw like a two yard touchdown screen to someone, but the extra point gets blocked and Chicago runs it back. And <laughs> I don't know, something like that. It's gonna be a. Here, it's here, gonna let, be a let, me, let me let me break it down for you real quick. All right, Chicago is gonna be more conventional. They're gonna hit three extra point or three field goals with Eddie Pinheiro. Meanwhile. The Rams are going to go out, okay? And they're going to score they're going to score a touchdown to start, okay? That's how, that's how I'm thinking. I'm thinking the Rams score a touchdown and then they kick a field goal. Two safeties ensue to make it yep. 14 and then they kick an extra Oh wait, no no no. One safety ensues to make it 12 and then they score a touchdown, another one to make it 18 and then they miss the extra point and yeah, 18 to 9. It's gonna like be a it. bad game, and there's gonna be like <laughs> nine combined turnovers. Oh so, my gosh! It's so they'll you know. they'll beat the Bears if you want to call it that. Yeah, it's always and good. Then to... <laughs> they'll lose to the Dolphins. Yeah, it's always good so, to have a little fun, you know. You know, three and five uh, going into the bye. Yeah, just I, you know, sometimes it's fun to joke about bad quarterback play. It's terrible oh, it's to awesome. watch, but it's, it's fun. Awesome. It's fun to do so. So it's you awesome. know, then they're gonna go into the bye, and they're gonna come out. And they're gonna go. They're gonna win one game after the bye because they play Seattle, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Arizona, New England, and then they play the Jets, who I think they beat, and then Seattle and Arizona. Yep. There's no way they win any of those games except against the New York Jets. And I know I had some pretty low expectations for the Jets. Um, I think this could be a bit of a battle, though. If if four and twelve, if four and twelve five and five and eleven at best. I agree with that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the bank right now. The Rams go into the 2021 draft with a lower draft pick than Jacksonville Jaguars. So we're gonna see them. The Jacksonville Jaguars are going to get not only a pick that I believe to be either top 10 or just around that 10 to 14 area. We're also gonna see the Rams have a top six ish pick. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give the Rams a six and 10 ceiling. Okay. Um, I think if anything, maybe they split with Arizona or they split with San Francisco. We saw them uh, play San Francisco close last year in a couple of games. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, four and twelve ceiling or four four and twelve floor. 
six and ten ceiling. I gotcha. think it's going to be closer to four and twelve, though. They, yeah. I just, I like you. I don't really have high expectations, and looking through this schedule, it is daunting. So, yeah, um, I, th- I think four and twelve is a pretty realistic expectation for the Rams. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, you know you're going to see some sloppy play, um, especially right. in that. What is it? Um, week one, two, three, four, five. Week six battle against. Uh, yeah, right. Week six, week seven, something like that. Against the Bears. Yeah. Yeah, that's week, week seven. Gotcha. Week seven. There we go. Yeah, right. that's going to be a sloppy, sloppy battle. So, do we have anything else for the Rams? Are we ready to get into the Cardinals? I think we're ready to move on to the Cardinals, who All I right. think are on the come up. I think are. You know, might we might not. I think they fall into the category. You know, we there have been so many teams this offseason that we have both said they're going to be good, but not this year. And I don't think the Cardinals are going to be as bad as we see the other teams being this year. But I think they will not. You know, they're in they're in a difficult division, right. so it's it's they're not going to be able to put together a eleven win season. But can they be nine and seven, ten and six? Sure, because they have talent. Right. They have talent around them. They're you know. They went out and got DeAndre Hopkins, who today signed a just crazy contract. I think he got twenty-seven point five million for the net in it per year for two years. So like right. 50, 50, you know. I saw that. I was like two years, fifty-four mil or something. Yeah, just absolutely um, insane. Solid deal. Solid deal. Breaking um, news. Breaking news. Giannis is out for Game Five against the Heat. So the Heat have won the series. That's. Yeah, I would I would say yes. All right. So looking at this Cardinals team, um obviously you look at Kyler Murray. Yes. So they drafted Josh Rosen in twenty eighteen. That didn't pan out. They got Kyler Murray. He looked good in twenty nineteen. Looks like the Cardinals have finally found their guy. <coughs> Excuse me. COVID. Um <laughs> he's, he's got a year under his belt. And now they got him a weapon. They added DeAndre Hopkins to go along with the aging Fitz, who might be in his last two raw, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, the man out of UMass, who looks like he's going to take a step forward this year as well. Uh, Max Williams, I've been hearing a lot. Or is it Dan Arnold? One of the two. Maybe it's Dan Arnold. I've been hearing a lot about one of these Cardinals tight ends. I think it's Dan Arnold. And I've seen some tape from him, and he looks like he might just be worth the hype. I've seen some impressive stuff from him. Um uh, this defense, I think, might hold them back a little bit in some parts. Patrick Peterson's getting a bit older. Obviously, they brought in Isaiah Simmons, but he's going to have to develop. Chandler Jones is a force as usual. Uh, it just depends on how good the secondary can be. They have names like Dre Kirkpatrick and uh, Buda Baker, but uh, you know, once Simmons. again, they're playing in a tough division. With uh, you know, You're going to have to go up against Russell Wilson. You're going to have to go up against... Jimmy G, you'll have to see guys like Stafford and uh, Cam Newton and Josh Allen at some point. So some solid quarterbacks. I'm interested to see how this uh, secondary steps up. But offensively, I have no concerns about this Arizona team whatsoever. I even think they upgraded at the running back position by sticking with Kenyon Drake and kind of ending the David Johnson era because it was evident that he's not going to be the same player uh, that we saw in the 2015 and 2016 seasons when he was just – uh, carrying defenses to the end zone with him and looking like a revolutionary player at the running back position. Injuries have obviously uh, derailed that uh, upward trend, but I think they made the right move. They have Chase Edmonds, who's a solid running back behind Drake as well. So I really am looking forward to how this Arizona offense is going to conduct themselves because on paper, 
it's going to be, you know, it should be a top 10 offense in the league, especially if Kyler Murray takes that next step. I agree. And, you know, you mentioned Kenyon Drake as being uh, upgrade in the position at the running back position, despite getting rid of David Johnson, who we saw, you know, put together some spectacular performances in the heat and, you know, in what really was a short prime of his career. Um, but I think it's not even the fact that, you know, Kenyon Drake's better. Um, I think it's just the fact that Kenyon Drake's skill set is more geared to what, towards what Arizona wants to do offensively. You know, they brought in Cliff Kingsbury last offseason to be able to be their quarterback or their uh, head coach of the future and, you know, reunited him with Kyler Murray in, in his first draft. Uh, Kyler Murray, who played at a. Uh, wait. No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm tripping. But, you know, he brought in Kyler Murray, who's a guy that Cliff Kingsbury can use to be able to run that more air raid offense that he, you know, with a large uptick in passing the football. So you're going to see Kenyon Drake out of the backfield a lot, being able to catch passes along with, like you said, DeAndre Hopkins, who's my top wide receiver in the NFL right now. Um, along, I think he's the number one. I think Julio's number two. Uh, we can get yeah. into our positions and things like that at another time if you want to. So, um, But right now, obviously, I think this Arizona Cardinals offense is something that we're seeing uh, develop and could really put together some solid performances. Like you said, the defense is probably the area of concern. And I think they really added a foundation with that by acquiring Isaiah Simmons in the draft. Isaiah Simmons is, you know, a one of the most versatile versatile players I've ever seen. You know, he can play safety, cornerback, linebacker, defensive end, you know, really, you can put him at defensive tackle and I bet he could make some plays, you know. He can play anywhere on that defense and you're going to see a bunch of different looks from a guy like that um, who really excelled at Clemson during his collegiate career. Uh, And I think he's he was well worth the eighth overall pick. I think he should have been picked higher. I think he should have been taken by the Carolina Panthers instead of Derrick Brown, but uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not Matt Rule or anything like that, so I can't make that decision. But... I think we're seeing a solid, solid Arizona Cardinals foundation, I want to say. Not not, um, not team overall, but foundation defensively for a run to the playoffs in the next year or two. Right. So I want to get into this schedule. Um, we we uh, butt heads a little bit last week over this week three matchup against the Lions. Yes. Uh, yes. We're going to get to that in a sec. Uh, week one at San Francisco, I think they lose that game. I do. I'm going to take well. the Niners in that one. And I think so, I'm going to uh, when, when we get around to the Niners in just a sec, uh, you know, we'll just end up repeating that. But yeah. week two against the football team, I did it. I There you, you go. Know, Good I job. It. I did it. Round of applause for me. I, I did not say re- – oh, oh, almost got you guys there. Uh, <laughs> over the Washington football team week two, uh, they're, they're going to win. Detroit week three, they are going to lose. I'm standing strong by that. Detroit is going to go 11-5 and five this year. Um, and then they have this two game stretch right here against Carolina and the Jets. They're going to win both of those, so they'll be three and two. Dallas is a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to go with Arizona in that game, though. I feel like we both came to that conclusion when we did the NFC East preview. I can't totally remember, but uh, I'm going to take Arizona. So they're going to be four and two. They're going to lose to Seattle, go into the bye week at four and three, yeah. beat Miami five and three, lose to Buffalo five and four lose to Seattle five and five. I think they get a win over New England. Um win over LA. Win over New York. So they're eight and five at that point. And they're gonna lose to Philly, lose to San Fran again, finish out the season with a win over the Rams. They go nine and seven. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. All right. So as it, as everyone knows, Matt's picking the Lions to go into the Super Bowl this year. I'm not. Uh, I'm to not. Face, <laughs> to I'm face not, off against the Broncos. We're gonna get to it in a second. <laughs> to face but... off against the Broncos. <laughs> no. I'm I'm seriously not. <laughs> He's picking the Lions. Um... No, I'm not. I I promise you, I'm not. Like, um... <laughs> we're I'm. We you will know who I'm picking by the end of the show, but it's not the Lions. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was funny. Okay. Um, just because he repeated it 70 times last episode. I, I thought it was so good. Okay. So week one against the 49ers, I think I agree with you. I think they lose, um, you know, lack of preparation in the offseason. I think we're, the lack of a preseason is going to be a bit of a uh, difficult um, game against a team that is removed from the Super Bowl berth. And then, obviously, with the Washington football team, I think they get a win. Detroit Lions, Matt's Super Bowl team, I think that uh, they get another win. Carolina, I think they get a win. Jets, I think they get a win. Dallas, I think I put them, chalked them down as a win. Um, and when we did Dallas as well, um, that's going to be on a Monday night. So I'm actually excited to watch that That'll game. Be a fun game. Yeah, unlike the game that's going to follow with you know the the turnover battle of eighteen to nine. Um, yeah. But then we're going to see them lose to Seattle, go into the bye week at five and two. And I think you know we're I I said earlier that you know the Cardinals aren't going to be a go, be able to go and be an 11-5 team, I think, you know, I'm looking at the schedule, and I'm like, well, you know, if they can put together some wins, there's some toss-ups in here. You know, yeah, my, Miami, definitely. Miami. I th- I'm thinking they beat Miami. Uh, I, I think they lose to Buffalo. I, I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, I think they get swept by the Seahawks overall. So um, at that point, I am, what, 7-3? 7-4? Seven and seven and I think so. Yeah, 7-3. and three. Yeah. Um, And then I think they beat New England. I think they beat the Rams. I think they beat the Giants, and I'm going to disagree with you here. I think they beat the Eagles, and then I think they lose to the 49ers and then beat the Rams. So overall, um, you know, they were five and two going into the bye week for me. I think they lose um, two out of the first three games coming out of the bye. I think they go on a little bit of a run late in the season. Um, ultimately, lose to the 49ers and then um, chalk it up with another win against the Rams in the season finale. Um, which with that 17 uh, playoff could possibly put three NFC West teams in that Wait, NFC. So what do you have them at? You have them going 11 and five. I do. Wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. That would definitely be my ceiling for them because, like, like, like we say, that Detroit game could be a flip, yeah. and so could that, that Philly game. So. I think. I think what what I think to be the flip. I think. I think uh, Arizona is going to handle Detroit. I don't think it's going to be crazy, but I do think they beat Detroit. I think you could see them either um, beat Dallas or split with, for some reason, I don't know why, I think they could split with the Rams because, you yeah. know, it, that's just, I feel like that's a game. It's hard to beat a team twice in the season. Um, if they're, you know, maybe they're struggling after coming off what is going to be two, you know, or three really emotional games against the Bills, Seahawks, and Patriots. You know, if they can escape at least, you know, they'll probably beat the Patriots, but I think coming off of those games is going to be difficult to go and play a Rams team that at that point really has nothing to lose. So it's, right. I, I just, I, I see where you say nine and seven, um, but I'm thinking, I'm going to go with 11 and five for this uh, Cardinals team, which could that make them, you know, what does the rest of this NFC West look like if they go 11 and five? And right. I, I'm excited to, I'm excited to get into it. It's interesting. Um, you know, 11 and five is definitely going to pit them in the playoffs, but um, you know, the NFL is just packed with talent this Absolutely. year. Absolutely, I, I agree. That's why we're going to have to kind of go back through it when we're done with this and see what records we have these teams at and whatnot and kind of form a playoff picture. 
based off that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. And then maybe we can kind of give an abbreviated playoff preview on Thursday along with this Chiefs-Texans preview to kind of round out this off-season long NFL preview that we've been doing. But 11-5 and five in the NFC, um, you know, it's not really apparent where that's going to get you, especially in the NFC West where 11 and five could win the division. You know, it could win any division, but it probably won't win the division this year. Where does it pit them as a wild card team though? You know, you're going to have the bucks who go 11 and five. You're going to have, you know, either the Cowboys and your Eagles could reach that point. Obviously you got the Seahawks and Niners that are going to be up there as double digit win teams. Uh, so it's interesting. There's a lot of firepower in the NFC. 11 and 9 could realistically be the seventh seed. Uh, that's just how good some of this talent in this NFC is, although I don't see that to be the case. Um, it's interesting. It, you know, the, But the Cardinals have a very good shot of getting in this year. I think they made all the right moves. Uh, while there is still some work left to go, yeah. I think they did a very good job of building a team that can go out and compete for the playoffs now while still lay out a foundation to get better in the future. Uh, Arizona is going to be a really interesting program to, you know, keep a, keep an eye on as these next couple of years go on. I agree. And I think they're youthful. You know, they have a young quarterback. They have right. a, you know, middle-aged uh, wide receiver group because they have Larry Fitzgerald, who's, you know, the fossil of the NFL. And then you have Christian Kirk, who's younger, and then DeAndre Hopkins in the middle. And so it's just you have a talented group that – is going to be together for quite some time for the most part. So if they, you know, let's say they miss the playoffs by a game because of the ultra-talented NFC, we see it. But if they go at 11-5, there's no excuse for them missing the playoffs, I wouldn't no. think. Um, it's even, you know, especially as that third wildcard team that were, or, you know, last wildcard team, I should say. Um, but, yeah, I, I like what uh, this Cardinals team has been able to do in the offseason. I think 11-5 is attainable. I think, you know, what really is going to um, – Put the, set them apart from having that 11-5 season is their own, you know, mistakes. Uh, will they shoot themselves in the foot? Will they, you know, just make some mistakes that really they shouldn't? And that's going to be the biggest question going into the season. Will that youthful, you know, that youth on that team, will it hurt them with uh, an unprecedented offseason as we've seen due to COVID-19 and everything going on without a preseason? So right. it's a lot of questions surrounding the Arizona Cardinals, but talent is not one of them. All right, so getting in, you have anything else for the Cardinals getting into this Niners team here? I do not. I'm all ready right, to get, get into the Niners. Getting into this Niners team, obviously, we all know the story. Up 10 in the fourth uh, quarter of the Super Bowl, and they ended up blowing it. Second time, Kyle Shanahan's been on the, the uh, uh, wrong side of a blown Super Bowl lead. Uh, they lost some pieces. Emmanuel Sanders is out, but they brought in Brandon Ayuk in the draft. Obviously, we're going to continue to see Debo Samuel take some steps forward, along with guys like Kendrick Bourne in that wide receiver core. Uh, you still got George Kittle at tight end. They brought in Jordan Reed. Uh, you got a good running back room still. You lost Breida, but you still got Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and Jarek McKinnon. Kyle Juszczyk, obviously, for the few amount of fullbacks that are still routinely used in the NFL today, he is one of the better ones. Uh, this defense I think he's top, the best one, in my opinion. He should be. James Devlin was up there, but he retired. Yeah. Um, Anthony Sherman, I think, is – you know, Oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him too. I, th I think Juszczyk and then Sherman. Yeah, but Juszczyk is a force. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo threw him a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Yeah, so. 
He's so, um, yeah, he's, he's great. I love you. On Jack defense, him. you got guys like D Ford, Eric Armstead. You brought in Javon Kinlaw. You got Nick Bosa. You got Dre Greenlaw, Quan Alexander. Richard Sherman obviously had a, you know, not his best stuff in the Super Bowl, but we want to see him uh, bounce back. Uh, they, they got guys like Jason Verrett, Jimmy Ward, although I don't think the secondary is going to be as good as it was last year. I just think it's lacking a little bit in big names and Sherman's getting older. This defense for the most part is still very solid. And this offense is, you know, uh, that Emmanuel Sanders hot, uh, loss might hurt a little bit, but I think Yuke is going to prove to be a solid replacement. And I don't really see this offense missing too much of a beat. I just don't know if that defense is going to be exactly what it was last year. And that can kind of see where we take this Niners team shift a little bit from an NFC powerhouse to, you know, maybe a, a wild card team. I kind of, I kind of disagree with you on uh, it being the defense that takes that step. I think it's the offense because of the lack of, uh, you know, at least earlier on in the season, the lack of proven talent at the wide receiver position. You know, they lost Debo Samuel for what's likely to be the first few games of the season. Um, you know, I know he's a bit up in the air right now because um, of what he had to go through. But I I think the offense is where they, we see them start uh, stumble. But I don't think it's enough to where, you know, we see them completely fall off track. Uh, right. Going through the games, I think, you know, they, they hold a pretty solid schedule. I think they control their own destiny, uh, which is why I have them at... Uh, at twelve and four on the year, um, interesting. I do. I have them uh, three and zero start for sure. I have them winning. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. six. I have them going seven games straight to start off the season, losing wow. to Seattle, and then I have them losing a weird one. Actually, no, 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 no. I don't. No, I don't. I have them beating the Packers. Sorry, I don't know why. I, I'm thinking of old Packers. My bad. I have them beating the Packers. I have them losing to the Saints, beating the Rams, losing to the Bills. Beating the Redskins, beating the Cowboys, beating the Cardinals, losing to the Seahawks. So Seahawks, Bills, Saints, and then Seahawks are the teams I have them losing to this season. And I think it's credited to the lack of wide receiver. You know, they have Debo Samuel. They have Brandon Ayuk, who's unproven. I, I just don't like what they have at the wide receiver position because of the loss of a guy like uh, Emmanuel Sanders. And I think uh, George Kittle, you know, while he's one of the best, uh, the best tight end in the NFL outside, ah, uh, I think him and Travis Kelsey are one A and one B there. Um, right, but it's close. It's hard. It's, it's very hard close. to make. It. It's very close. But yeah, so I just I don't know. I definitely agree with the three and O start. Um, Philly on a Sunday night is a tough one. I'm kind of thinking of giving them the loss there. I just you know that that's a game yeah, where really? you know if they really do struggle wide receiver wise, you know it could be against a tough Philly defense. But and, Philly doesn't have that secondary. That's true. Philly's they secondary. Bring in play. They brought yeah. in play. So yeah, you're right. They, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be improved. Yeah. But we'll see. I, you know, I, I think taking taking uh, San Fran is probably the safer bet. I can agree with six and zero. I, but I can remember when we did our AFC East preview. I was leaning on New England to beat San Francisco. I think you did do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I, okay. you know, I think, I think that's a game that a Belichick coach team wins. I, I just have, you know, former QB coming into town. I, I think, you know, I think you're going to see a low scoring, maybe like 26 to 21 type game. Uh, Garoppolo might throw a couple picks or something. And, uh, you know, the Patriots, for what it's worth, aren't going to be 
a fantastic team in 2020, but they're still going to have some of those Patriot games that you're just seeing that you're just used to seeing the Patriots have. I think that San Fran game is one of them. Um, so I, I give San Fran a six and one start. Lose to Seattle, beat Green Bay, lose to New Orleans. They'll go into the bye week at seven and three. Uh, beat LA to get to eight and three. Lose to Buffalo. Beat Washington. Beat Dallas. Beat Arizona. Lose to Seattle. So eleven and five is what I have for the Niners. The only difference here is uh, I got them losing to New England. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it makes sense. Uh, I, I do think that you know there are a few games that 49, the 49ers can drop. Uh, I just don't see it. Uh, I think yeah. that uh, that defense is just going to be too solid. Hopefully, they can continue to put that together. I don't think we've seen. Uh, a team with that dominant of a defense do it two years in a row. Uh, I think it's time to see a team do it two years in a row. So I'm hoping that uh, the 49ers can, because I liked what they were able to put on the field last year, and I liked what their defensive coordinator and Robert Sala was able to do. So I'm um, hoping for continued success there. And, you know, maybe they could steal a win over Seattle at some point, or maybe they yeah. can, you know, do something uh, to get them over the edge, or maybe they can, you know, fall back in if they don't have that, you know, as the same uh, defensive production as last season. Maybe we can see them lose to one of those teams they shouldn't lose to. The issue here with the Niners is a a Super Bowl hangover, I think, is the biggest thing that could hold them back. Yeah. Um, They, you know, Super Bowl hangovers are legit. I I mean, let's let's take a look at it here. The Panthers, after losing the Super Bowl to the Broncos and going 15-1, and they went like 6-10 and next year. Yeah. Even the Rams this past season went to the Super Bowl, lost, came back out next season didn't make the playoffs it's a real thing that happens um you know it's just a matter of does it hit san francisco does it not maybe if it does they drop a few extra games like that philly game or uh you know maybe dallas that uh, you know so i'm I, I give them a i give them a nine and seven f- uh floor just because of things like that but okay. ultimately i think a lot of the talent is still there and they, sh- you know, they should still be good for eleven wins. Yeah, so, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So now we're uh, we're getting into the Seahawks. You got anything else about the Niners? I think I'm good on the Niners. I, uh, you know, like I said, I like their defense. I continue to want to watch them play because last year they were just so dominant. It was I'm not a defensive guy, but I loved watching it because right. they were just so good at what they were doing. Right. I want to get into the Seahawks team because I love this Seahawks team. I do as well. I I think they're, they're going to be a force this season. I mean, uh, you know, we, we can't spend the entire show talking about just the Jamal Adams uh, acquisition, even though that is going to speak miles to how good the Seahawks defense is going to be next year. Obviously they got guys like KJ Wright, Bobby Wagner for crying out loud is one of the best linebackers in the game. Hold on. Uh, Bruce Irvin. Hold on. He's the best linebacker. The best. Bobby Wagner is the best middle linebacker in the game. Now that Luke Keekley is retired. He's a force. Now that Luke Keekley is gone, Bobby Wagner is now that guy at middle linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks and the NFL in general. Yeah. So they, you know, their defense is going to be pretty darn good next year. Uh, they got guys like Quentin Dunbar, Trey Flowers, Quandre Diggs. So I like what they have there. Their offense, obviously, Russell Wilson is phenomenal. I think he's one of the best deep ball passers in the league. Uh, he's one of the best escape artists in the league. Him alone, 
is going to be good for double digits. Obviously, their offensive line sometimes struggles, but Wilson is very good at Wilson making up Wilson hasn't for that. had a good offensive line since coming into the league and continues right. to put up MVP numbers for the most part, yep. at least during points throughout the season since he, he got, got literally every year. He's it, got, it's, it's insane. He's got Greg Olson and Luke Wilson at tight end, both mm-hmm. solid options. And then this wide receiver core. I love this wide receiver core. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Phil Dorsett, Freddie Swain. There yeah, are so many options Freddie. in this wide receiver core, especially DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think that's one of the better one-two punches in the NFL that Wilson's working with. I agree. That plus Will- Wilson's escapability, they're going to be running open on the field a lot, and Wilson is going to be finding those two deep down the field a lot on a lot of broken plays and whatnot. It's good to have you know a speedy Tyler Lockett and a strong DK Metcalf. You know, when you uh, when you escape the pocket and Tyler Lockett's just running free down the field, you can get it to him. When you escape the pocket and you got to get the ball out and, you know, you just got to throw it up, you can trust that DK Metcalf can use that size to bring it down. I think there are some really good options for Russell Wilson here. I like the Seahawks team, man. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny that we wait till the last team of this divisional preview, but... This is my NFC Super Bowl pick. I'm going with I the figured Seattle it was. Seahawks. I figured it was. It's the Seattle Seahawks. They're they're going to go back to the Super Bowl. We're going to see a rematch of Super Bowl 48 this year with the Seahawks and Broncos. This team, <laughs> you know, I thought they were going to go into Lambeau last year and beat the Packers. I thought they were that good and I thought the Packers, you know, we talked about it. They were a 13 and 3 team, but they weren't a great 13 and 3 team. Ultimately, you know, Lambeau is just such a difficult place to win in the playoffs. But look, the Seahawks were one yard away from having a bye last year. I think if yeah. they had beat San Fran in that week 17 game, they would have been the two seed and Green Bay would have been the one. But that would have pitted Seattle in the NFC Championship, I feel like. And yeah. that's a bit of a day. I, you know, I thought they would have been a Super Bowl team last year. And this this, this year it's going to happen. They brought in Jamal Adams. Um, you know, they have a great wide receiver core. Wilson's going to continue to do his thing. They brought in a good, reliable veteran tight end. Uh, they got they should have some healthy running backs this year. Hopefully they can stay healthy. That's a big part of it. But I'm I'm here for the Seahawks, man. Feed me the Seahawks because Wilson's going back to the Super Bowl this year. Absolutely. I think the only thing that scares me about the Seahawks is their pass rushing unit. But I yeah. think uh outside of that, I, I don't really see a weakness on this entire Seahawks roster. And looking at this schedule, I don't think there's one game where I can say with full confidence that that is a loss. I'm giving them a five and zero start for sure. Um, they're they're gonna win their first five games. I think they they'll beat Arizona. I think they might split with Sam Fran if anything like that could happen. But mm-hmm. even then, I, 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 I don't yeah. know. I said that. I don't happen. even know if I see that. I'm gonna give them the win over Sam Fran. Yeah, I don't really even know where a loss comes on this schedule. No. You know, maybe Buffalo at Buffalo. Maybe yeah. if Buffalo's that good, maybe Buffalo beats them. You usually see. Some of those big interconference games, uh, you know, sometimes those those can be games that slip away. I, I think I, I think I can give them a a, a loss against Buffalo. I, I'll I'll give them a loss there. They'll beat the Rams. They'll beat the Cardinals. Beat the yeah. I mean, I'm really. I just looking... don't see anywhere where I can stay with full confidence. That's a loss. Right. Now I do have three teams that I'm looking at, and I'm saying that can go either way. But that means that the best they can do is 16-0, and 0, and the worst they can do is 13-3. and 3. Right. So I think Buffalo can go either way. 
I think Minnesota can go either way. And, you know, like I say, maybe they split San Fran and Arizona. Yeah. So uh, I think there are four potential losses on here. I it's did. so hard to go 16-0, and so I'm not going to mark them at 16-0. and Yeah, I'm not either. I'm going to say they go 14-2. and Okay. Let's say they lose to Buffalo, and I don't even know where the second loss comes from on here. I yeah. don't. I'm saying I'm going I'm I'm to go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm marking them as a loss to the Vikings. I think um, I like – I obviously, I like the Vikings, if you all haven't realized. Um, I, I, I just think they put together a solid roster on both offensive and defensive sides of the ball, and we're going to see a bit of a different pace from the Vikings this season. So I'm going to give the Vikings a win against Seattle, even though it's in, uh, you know, in Seattle for Sunday night football on NBC with our guys – Alan Chris, um, Chris, but the other two games I was looking at was Buffalo. Um, I was I was thinking Buffalo is definitely could definitely be a difficult game considering it's NFC versus AFC. It's in uh, you know Orchard Park and it's at one p.m. and you know I, it's kind of it's difficult for a Western Coast team to go and play at one p.m. because it, it, right. it's just it's a different you feel like you're playing at nine or like nine o'clock in the morning. It's just it's not ideal for them so. Those those two, so Minnesota, Buffalo, and I have the Eagles because the Eagles seemingly last year struggled to get going against Seattle, but they always kept it within a touchdown lead. You're like Seattle always right. kept it within a touchdown lead. So that's actually the other game I was looking at. Yeah, I think with that, you know, gap, we could see the Eagles possibly squeak one out on Monday night. You know, uh, in in Lincoln at Lincoln Financial, but you know, I, I think those are my three big ones. Obviously. It's it's always a toss up whether they're going to so, split with a team like the Niners or not because of it being that divisional rivalry. Um, but for the most part, I I agree with the fourteen and two sentiment. I think I'm going to uh, give them. I'm going to give them the losses to Buffalo and Philly. Okay, I'm going so fourteen and two, okay. number one seed in the NFC. Okay, I'm going uh, same fourteen and two, but I'm giving the losses to the Vikings and the uh, and the Bills. Um, and I'm going to okay. say number one seed in. in that so and there and I think they beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl. Okay. I think, I think uh, you know it'll be a close game, but I, I think the Seahawks are just going to be that good this year. Uh, I'm the Seahawks are my Super Bowl fifty five champions. Gotcha. I'm hoping that we get to see a Seattle Minnesota NFC Championship game because I think that's going to be one of the best NFC Championship games we've seen in a while. It'll be I, a fun. And so you know, as much as. I'm having to reevaluate because I thought the Vikings were like that team. I think Seattle is a close, close second with the schedule, with what their, you know, their roster. But I think I can, can, I can stay with Minnesota because I'm worried about that Seattle pass rush. And with Kirk Cousins in the top and, you know, having time in the pocket in a situation like that uh, in the playoffs, hopefully he's able to get it done. Um, And so I'm going to, I'm going to say with Vikings, but I think either way, I'm 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 good with the Vikings or the Seahawks making it to the uh, Super Bowl, and I think whichever team comes out of the NFC this year, I think they win it. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I told you I wasn't picking the Lions to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I think I you know I, it's it's going to be the Seahawks. I think I think I think we're going to see some outstanding things from that team this year. I'm just so confident in them, and you know I don't really like the Seahawks either. I'm not a big Seahawks guy uh, just in general. They're not really a team where I'm like, man love to see the Seahawks out here winning. They actually kind of frustrate me for the most part. I mean, 
This is a team that took the Patriots down to the wire in the Super Bowl. They had a big bandwagon presence when they first got good. They were just kind of annoying for a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've all... They've always kind of been that way, you know. The, the they're the Seahawks, you know. Russell Wilson is gonna—he's a little rat that gets out of the pocket and don't you know, talk about tur- like turns that. twenty turns twenty yard sacks into touchdowns. It's just if you're playing against them, it annoys you yeah. and stuff like that. But you can't take away the fact that they are a good team and that uh, on paper coming into the year, there's no reason why the Super Bowl isn't realistic. For them. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm—I've never been like a. Seahawks hater. I actually like the Seahawks. I've liked what they have put on the field. And uh, I'm going to get into um, something I talked about in one of my articles. And it was, it's what I've talked about it. I think I've talked about it on here before, too. I don't know. Freddie Swain going to the Seattle Seahawks. I think he presents a similar skill set to Tyler Lockett. And I think it was, he, he's from Florida. Um, you know, he's one of those wide receivers I named earlier that just is was the plethora of options that Dan Mullen had to utilize while being. Uh, you know, last season for Kyle Trask. And so I like what he brings to the table. I think he is a athletic receiver. Um, you know, he was pretty sure-handed at Florida. You know, that was often a question at times was, is he reliable? And I think he was. And I think uh, Seattle was the perfect destination for him. And I think, you know, with that relationship, not only does Freddie Swain benefit from, you know, playing in Seattle, but I think eventually Seattle starts to benefit by having a guy like Freddie Swain. And he could be one of those random pieces that pop up in the playoffs that we see catching touchdown passes from Russell Wilson that were like, who's this guy? Where did he come from? You know, similar to you know, really Tyler Lockett when he got in the NFL. We were just like, where did he come from? Like, what is he doing? You know? And so I think they found a gym in Freddie Swain and not because Freddie Swain is some world beater tight end. It's because he just matches so perfectly with what the Seattle Seahawks try to accomplish year in and year out. He can improvise. He can get open in times where Russell Wilson needs him to. And that's something that Tyler Lockett's excelled at for years and years. You know, mm-hmm. and, and like last year, one of the early games in the season, we saw Russell Wilson make one of the most spectacular throws I've ever seen in my life. I know I've said that a bunch tonight, but there's just been so many things that uh, I've said a lot about just best thing I've seen, um, you know, throughout my life but it just continues to happen last year against the rams he threw an absolute dot to tyler lockett in the corner of the end zone on the run to his left now granted that might have been a better catch by lockett but but the spot was perfect it it, it was phenomenal it couldn't have got any better it it was a great catch by tyler lockett and wilson put it in a spot right he knew you can't put it in a better spot than that he knew where tyler lockett was going to catch you know he knew where tyler lockett needed the ball to be able to haul it in and he trusted him to haul it in there, but he knew if he threw it anywhere else, it was either going to be batted down, intercepted, all of the above. It, it, I just, I think that uh, it, it, that's one of the better plays I've seen in a while. So I'm liking where the Seahawks are going this season, and I think uh, we're going to be able to see, hopefully, um, them make a deep playoff run, if not a Super Bowl championship run. All right. I mean, I, I'm I'm all in on the Seahawks. I They are my Super Bowl 55 picks so uh that that wraps it up that is our divisional previews um you know it's been a good run absolutely it's good to finally have it done yes now uh the only thing left to do is wait for the season to kick off we'll have our preview show on thursday we are excited for it absolutely um we cannot be more excited for football season man it has just been the longest off season but we are here it's gonna happen thank goodness yeah, and, uh, you know, one thing that I was kind of concerned about is what happens to the NBA when football comes back? Well, I can tell you one thing. 
I've been watching a lot more college football than I have, you know, I watched BYU and Navy with right. BYU absolutely demolishing Navy over uh, Clippers um, Nuggets game last night. Like, you know what I mean? It's Does that mean that in the finals we're going to see ratings down because everyone's been so anxious to get football back? Possibly. I think people are very excited for football this year, more than any other year. I also have a bold prediction that the football season is going to finish. It's going to oh, make it all the way through. I hope so. I sure do. It's going to happen. I um, would uh, I'd be elated. So here we are. That's it. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up today's show. What's the best thing you saw today? Best thing I saw today. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, I'm not sure, actually. What about you? Here, here let, let me think for a minute. What about you? It's been a slow day. Um, I feel like I just had something I wanted to say, and it it slipped my mind. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's been a very slow day today. Yeah. Um, I I think what the best thing I've seen today is probably trying to get this fantasy league up and going. Yeah. Um, you know, me and you, uh, I, I asked you to be in a fantasy league last night. You kind of, uh, you were able to ask a few people. I think, um, I think we're good, by the way. I think we have the people we need. I think I'm waiting on my uncle cause he, I just asked him cause we were looking for more people, but I, I you know, I'm excited. I love playing fantasy and I wasn't in a league awesome. this year. So, um, you know, good to get one going. So yeah. I had a draft last night. I sent you my team, man. I'm really, yeah, really. I think that team is going to be nasty this year. I think I, I think I had one of my best drafts yet. Yeah. It was solid. I, you know, I, I feel like every every time I draft in fantasy, I get a little choked up over wide receivers, and I feel like I usually end up sacrificing a good running back for a, a receiver. And this year I said, you know what? Receiver isn't even a concern for me. I want to get two good running backs. I want to get a top five tight end because there are so many receivers in fantasy that, that can produce for my team that can, even if it's, not top tier production it's production that my top tier running backs and top 10 tight end can make up for uh i was still able to land dj chark and robert woods so yeah i was very happy with the way it turned out that that team is actually projected to score the second most in my league the only team that's projected to score higher than me is only projected to do so by 0.2 points so um I, i feel like i really nailed the draft and i drafted starter or i drafted stafford to be my starting quarterback I also was able to get Wentz, and you know, with Wentz playing Washington this week, I'm going, you know, I'm going with Wentz, who's projected to score three more points than Stafford. Um, so it, it it really worked out well this week. So hopefully, I, I've got big things for that team. Hopefully, the team I put together in your league can stand strong. We're probably going to have the draft tomorrow night, though, or sometime tomorrow, uh, to get everything penciled in for the season on Thursday. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, that's what I figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're doing it tomorrow night at 6. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what... I should uh, be good for that. Gotcha. I, I think I have a class that ends at 545. So awesome, awesome. Yeah, I'll so that's what, that's what we're going to be trying to do. So Cool. Uh, just let um, Petey know. Shout out, shout out Petey. Don't know you, but seem like a G. I got you. <laughs> we will we'll have it figured out. All right, so does that wrap it up? I think it does. Uh, thank you all for listening. This was uh, our second of three podcasts this week. And uh, signing out here on Sunshine State Takes, I'm Brandon Carroll, along with Matt McConnell. We'll see you guys Thursday. See you next time.